0: Stay tuned for the Renewable Energy Hour. Good evening, Southern Humboldt, Western Lake, Northern Sonoma, and most of Mendocino County. Welcome to the Renewable Energy Hour. (laughs) This is Doug Livingston, and joining me tonight is my... Guest co-host giving giving Alex Aragon a spell, uh, Chris Love. Hey Chris, how are you doing tonight?
1: I'm doing pretty well. Hi everybody. How are you doing?
0: <laughs> they're 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 beaming their answers back at us. Um yeah. Well, tonight we wanted to talk about uh, one of one of Chris's fired-up topics that we mentioned the first time we had Chris on as as one he wanted to address, and, and that's something called microgrids. And uh, the first time I started hearing the term microgrid was mostly in reference to uh, emerging nations with isolated villages where they would set up a battery-based system that sort of was the master of of everybody in the village and and historically before that if you were going to put solar in in an isolated village in sub-saharan africa for example you would have put in a bunch of dc coupled standard single-family off-grid systems that probably were mostly just running you know a couple of lights and a radio um... but it would have been very similar to an early mendocino county off-grid solar system Um, and, uh, they started realizing that, you know, we could do the whole village with, uh, with a lot more resilience with a single battery bank instead of, you know, some battery banks getting full and wasting their solar power for the rest of the afternoon because nobody was using it, um, by interconnecting the whole village. And there would be at least one central battery bank and typically a bunch of, uh, non-battery utility intertie system uh, inverters uh, what, what Chris calls a PV inver- inverter uh, what I call a direct grid tie inverter but an inverter that's designed to operate without batteries and the, the master inverter that's associated with the big battery bank put out a high enough quality AC power that it would fool all the grid tied systems into thinking the grid was up and running and so at a much higher voltage than the classical old god forbid 12 volt systems um, <laughs> could 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 share all of their power all together now typically it was a fairly modest battery bank so that they could not carry you know the whole village doing parties after the sun went down, but they did have quite a bit of power during the day. So they would do all their water pumping and that sort of thing during the day. Then they would just drop back to high efficiency lights and a radio at night. That's where I first heard the term microgrid. And and when I hear and discussions about as one an
1: aside real quick, you know, a lot of what that did was, you know, their dependency on diesel generators that yeah. they were using. Yeah, it was solar solar tens, in tens of thousands of places in, in a de- lot of the day.
0: Independent solar systems, you know, that were not, you know, all interconnected would do the same thing. It's just they ended up being far more expensive, primarily in wiring costs because they had to use uh, well, and and they also had you know, couldn't share the power when one had excess and another was shy, and vice versa. That never happened, and and that was the real real beauty. I think solar in general is getting them off the diesel generator. Um, yeah, and and, and the, and and the, and the kerosene a... kerosene lights and things like that.
1: Yeah, and, and, and it also one of the things is some of the control capabilities of solar. What you call the grid direct, you know, inverters. You know, I call the PV or the solar inverters. You know, is that they can respond to conditions on the power line and not force their power down the throat of the system. So you know, it, there's you know, it ended the interference problems that we you know would have with old AC systems that didn't have that control capability.
0: I, I don't follow.
1: Uh, that the solar inverter doesn't just pump out its five thousand watts. You know, that something out there says, "Hey, you know, our battery's full over here." We don't need your solar power anymore, so if the loads aren't taking it, cut back, you know, and
0: stop pumping that out. Well, the master inverter has to tell the slave inverter that.
1: Right. And so that's that's what's happened, you know, in more recent times as far as the AC coupling nature of of the microgrid, you know, and having the distributed energy resource.
0: It used to be the charge controller that would tell the solar to (laughs) chill out. Right. Uh, And this would happen. uh, The problem was... We
1: don't it would happen we don't want to have huge wires going everywhere that's the big saving
0: right and and since they didn't do the huge wires going everywhere since each house was its own standalone off-grid system not connected to the other houses then they couldn't share excess power when there was excess and draw right. from a neighbor when the neighborhood access and they didn't have enough and that's what the microgrid enabled in those sub-saharan african villages but when i when i look at the definitions of microgrids um it would it would include you know your basic single-family dwelling off the grid yep um and that, is, and that
1: is the condition you know that's all the design software and all the discussions in the microgrid world, you know, recognizes that it is, you know, it can be a single tiny little battery and a light and a radio. That's technically a microgrid, and maybe it's, you know, a nano grid. A nano grid. Really that, 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 that's, you know, that's
0: a good term for it. Nano grid. I have a nano grid at home, but these days the excitement and. And new no dabbling in in our world is to have microgrids on our actual grid and not be an off grid system at all. But to have a microgrid well not at not at all. Have a have a microgrid that interacts with the utility can send excess from the microgrid out onto the utility when they've got excess and the batteries are full and draw in from the utility if they're running shy. Um and even, you know, run off the utility without cycling batteries when the utility is up. But the moment the utility goes down, that microgrid, you know, stays online. And again, this could be a single-family residence with a battery backup. Um, but yeah. but I think the, the real excitement is, is the possibility that whole neighborhoods or at least critical zones, you know, that included, you know, the local hospital and the fire department and the police station could at least be on a microgrid so that those could keep running in the event of a a massive power outage that lasted a long time where they don't want to be, you know, God forbid, you know, have, have a power outage that lasts seven days after a big San Andreas earthquake, um they might have problems keeping a generator going for that long. And generators are nasty anyhow. Um, and so so that's where the excitement is, is improving the resilience of the grid by having this happen on a larger scale. But so far, it's mostly happening, you know, on single properties. Um, the, the utilities have been resistant about allowing a local neighborhood, for example, or a small town from... Using their lines during a power outage, even though they've successfully isolated themselves from the rest of the grid and aren't affecting the rest of the grid, they've been resistant to that. And, and there's, there was a recent state law that mandated that the big utilities allow this to happen in a handful of experimental situations, and that's going on right now. Um,
1: well, and it's actually, it has actually broadened beyond a handful. Um, you know, it started in 2010. And so up to about 2018, there were 12 of the original California microgrids, you know. And so as example, Miramar Marine Corps Air Station, a uh, little town, you know, in like the Inland Empire, Borrego Springs, because they had extraordinary outages and sometimes lasted for over a week.
0: That's a, kind of so, so the utility the
1: they have like,
0: so the, rural. The utility was more willing to accept the experiment on a place like that where they were getting shellacked PR because they couldn't keep get the power back on in a week. Yeah, but, but on on the, air was, base, on the yeah, airbase on the airbase that's not not what I was talking about because that's a single property and that's always been legal.
1: Right understandable yeah and it and it is complex down there at that one and you know and so there's been some universities as well which again single property mm-hmm. um but there have recently you know say up in humble Humboldt's really really far ahead of mendocino county with this stuff and that there's several microgrids deployed up there um and we
0: have thousands and thousands here
1: Right, I, I just, I mean, I'm speaking of you know the larger ones, the larger not ones, the single, right, right? Yeah, because quarter of our county is off the grid, whether mm-hmm. or not they're using solar or not. Right. Um, we know that there are still people that are chugging their generator 12, 18 hours a day to run a couple few houses. So, you know, so what are the big what are the big today? ones
0: in uh, in Humboldt? I I know about the airport.
1: Yeah. So the um uh, what section of Blue Blue Lake Rancheria. Um, they did part of their reservation as mm-hmm. well as uh, their casino because it's a shelter. Uh,
0: again, a single um, property, but critical yeah, infrastructure.
1: Arcata Airport. But there's also an interesting thing that PG&E did that when things go right, when they do have to cut out from the grid, that they can provide a microgrid all the way down into Garberville um, from the Eureka area. Um, but that that's also you know, does lead into a little news piece that we discussed that I was hoping to um, tap into and that I'm sure some of our northern listeners are concerned about and that PG&E's grid is maxed out up there and they are not turning on almost any new service. Um, Businesses and homes alike that are not having new service turned on in the last two years even where, you know, people have made multi-million dollar investments and and are just stuck with no power running generators if they want to, you know, stay at all.
0: Um, well, they could. So they could do solar and batteries.
1: And that is one of the things that's being talked about. Where you know maybe Shelter Cove is looking at maybe putting in a microgrid of their own for the whole town,
0: and just um, turning off the grid.
1: Uh, well, you know, so that they can take you know the stress off the off the grid because. What it is is basically the lines aren't properly sized. The substations need more equipment, all of this stuff because there's just too much demand.
0: So they would st- and, they would stay connected to the grid and and the grid would send a signal saying, "Hey, we're having trouble meeting demand. We're at capacity. Can you can you log off and support yourself?"
1: There there can be that. Yeah. There- and that that is part of the idea is to take the stress of say this whole town on the end of that line you know off of that line and then you know then make more room for everything in between but there's you know a lot of tricky stuff there of course it's super interactive and hopefully can all be done with power line communication because you know we don't want to have to wire this stuff or depend on the internet for those kind of controls you know it has to be more embedded
0: less Um, less vulnerable to hacking too
1: but it's But it's all possible because that's happening now. You know, you buy a direct-to-grid tie solar inverter, and, you know, when it's commissioned and programmed, you can do an extraordinary amount of programming and say, hey, if the power conditions are like this coming in from the utility according to what PG&E wants you to do, then it responds. And so, you know, we actually have solar inverters that can inject reactive power 24 hours a day
0: to support the grid. Based on a and signal not, based on a signal from the utility or based on yeah. the need of the grid just measured there at the inverter. It's
1: it's yeah, it's basically measured there at the inverter and that's intentional from the utility that the frequency and the voltage are all doing certain different things and that the equipment is responding in kind and holding the power factor at its metered point to, you know, help support it or to inject it or to draw it, you know, whatever's needed. It can be programmed in, so it's just automatic. Um, but there's also a whole lot of other reasons why you would want really direct wired control mm-hmm. or to, you know, have all the communication devices coming back to a central location where there's an operator there 24 hours a day who is also, in, you know, working in conjunction with an operator at the PG&E facility 20 miles away or farther
0: you know, on purpose. Well, and pg and uh, could simply, you know, intentionally cause a power outage to Shelter Cove whenever it was having yeah. trouble meeting demand. That's a sort of brutal way of doing it, but uh, if, if they had their own microgrid, they would, you know, pretty much instantly be an island of their own power production and support.
1: Yeah, and there would be some kind of agreements in that whole interconnection agreement that, you know, would probably be hundreds of pages long. Mm-hmm. You know, about Listen, how that's all done, so you fa- know, so everybody's in agreement.
0: So far the utility has been reluctant. Now, tell me about them being able to send power from the northern microgrid up in Eureka down all the way to Southern Humboldt. When did well, that when did that of, when did that get allowed? So In general, that's yeah, so, not allowed by PG&E.
1: Well, PG&E, this is part of PG&E's system, is that it's, you know, PG&E, wherever, you know, the broker that's buying power, if it's not PG&E, because PG&E does have a generation station up there.
0: Um, They do? Or they're buying it from a private
1: generator? No, it's it's still a PG&E because it's the original uh, nuclear station that got decommissioned that still has, you know, nuclear rods that they can't find and still are... (laughs) you know stored in casks up there waiting to be transported on the new Willits uh, bypass um, <laughs> cuz 299 didn't work out so anyway that you originally converted to a diesel station so they had two big huge diesel generators and then in the last 15 years that all got converted to natural gas and so now they have two banks of 20 natural gas generators and so they they ramp up depending on the the peak load mm-hmm. in the area because they still do buy power from, you know, out of the area, but those main lines into the area are also limited. And that that's part of their not turning on more power to the area. Uh, Northern Humboldt does not have this problem, but there's only a single line that goes up the coast and there's little demand there, you know, until you get to Oregon you know, you got to get all the way to the five until the demand really peaks again. Um, but so they they have, you know, throughout the area at different points put in, you know, these large transfer disconnect switches so that they can essentially keep this single microgrid on the PG&E generation station. Um, God, I forget the name uh, it's the tip of my head. Uh, something salmon little town south of Eureka right there on the coast in the sloughs. You know, and the generation stations right on the west side of the highway mm-hmm. um, so uh, this because of the fault.
0: so this really is a PG e generation facility and PG e lines so it's not yeah. not a separate microgrid it's
1: and it's, and yeah, and it's, it's no, just no, like any utility they,
0: they could they could shut down any part of their grid and keep some other part up and running and I'm not sure I would call that a microgrid. It's just yeah, a, a sub part of the it's, existing it's, grid.
1: It's iffy because there is not a storage system involved. Mm-hmm. You know, it's right. just live right. generation responding to the loading on the lines, you know. Mm-hmm. But there's, you know, there's some potential there that people could take advantage of that. But, yeah, it's, it's pretty serious up there that, you know, people are going to have a hard time getting by without doing something serious on their own in, in all likelihood. And, you know, hopefully some of the neighborhoods can get together because that's one of the beauties of it is when the people can get together and find their own internal regulatory structure of how to manage it, and get revenue-grade meters placed in all the right spots that are theirs, not PG&E's meters, mm-hmm. and so that people don't feel like they're cheated or right. whatever for whatever they put into their you know local microgrid. You know that when people can do that, just like they do with their their roads, up these private roads and such, and find you know that that balance then, you know, they can very likely get approved to get the right transfer equipment placed by PG&E, but that's the expensive part, because yeah. PG&E is going to very likely, you know, install that, or it's going to be a whole other kind of facility you've got to build on private land that then they'll bring their lines to, and it's a big kind of reconditioning if it's not new construction, where if it's a big subdivision, it's, it almost becomes obvious to consider instead of deploying battery systems at 120 Mm homes, put in just put in a big nice Dynatech commercial grade battery inverter that's like 98 percent efficient you know as far as the solar and output to the grid and you know much higher efficiencies on the battery side than the normal residential grade stuff which kind of tops out at 94
0: 96 and that's pushing it but if, and if the yeah. developer owned his own distribution network within the development, PG&E couldn't, PG&E couldn't say anything about it. But in the meanwhile, PG&E says, no, that's against the rules, except for the few places they've been mandated to allow this sort of thing as an experiment.
1: Yeah, so I think a lot of that stuff is changing. And admittedly, I don't know as much about the regulatory side as I would like to or probably should to be, you know, but we've only got an hour here. <laughs> and, it, and we, you know, and it might be worth, you know, seeing if we can find somebody that knows some of this higher-level regulatory and have them on for a show.
0: Yeah, um, somebody from the Cal- California Solar out. Energy <laughs> Association or uh, CalSEA. Um or the Solar Energy Industries Association, Um, probably not the utility, although maybe you have two guests (laughs) and have the the utility explain why they're resistant to doing this. But so far, it's been, you know, been. I mean, Ukiah could do it right now today. They're not on PG&E. Yeah,
1: and so Ukiah is, you know, Ukiah's had some problems for a while as far as the city of Ukiah people, just so we know, it's not outside the city limits at all that this would apply to. But, you know, for for all, you know, all history, you know, with solar, with them, it's always a supply-side connection. So you have two meters, and it took them a while to, you know, figure out how they wanted to do it between the utility and the building department to be able to say, okay, well, you know, we can set up these transfer switches so that when the grid goes down, you can get your solar into your backup system. Um, And it's really all that they need to totally redux their entire financial system for the city. Not just the utility, but mostly the utility, because it's the only way they could make it work. And so I think that's all new computers. I think there's a lot involved on that side of IT and how much there's you know, equipment the city really has mm-hmm. you know, to be realistic and it's not like LA or anything, but it's still, you know, the administration for, you know, sixteen thousand plus people. So, you know, once that's done, then solar will just go to one meter. You know, so people can do the normal load side connections or
0: well, they, co- they could have done that single meter. They could have done that way back at the beginning. It was a policy choice.
1: Yeah, and I think it had to do with, you know, the way their financial structure was set up. At least that's where it's rutted now.
0: How, but, how, how was it financially? Uh,
1: it, it has to do with their financial software and the structuring with the city. I, I, I don't have the details, but I spoke with the director's office at one point about this and that they were lamenting it, you know, and that it, I think it came before the current director by a long shot because mm-hmm. Mel Grandy's made huge changes, leaps and bounds, approved well, you know seems everything in the city seems to me that,
0: that requiring two meters one measuring the solar overflow and one one measuring
1: the
0: yeah all the solar going out and and giving you a credit for that at least it's a credit for what they would have charged you for it um and then it turns around and yeah. comes in through your meter and you get charged for it if it's not an overflow um but it seems to me that that's a greater accounting costs than yeah, a meter that exactly. simply spins backwards. So I don't understand where there wasn't a financial advantage in requiring that.
1: Yeah, I don't think it was an advantage. I think it had to do more with the administration and the software that they had just structures. that was in the city and protocols policies at the time. Yeah. The decisions were made. And so, you yeah, know, I, I it, don't... it's going to change. It's just a matter of when, that comes, and, you know, this, this is a conversation I had with them two and a half, three years ago. Yeah,
0: they, they could have done yeah. what PG&E was doing 20 years ago.
1: Because it was making day. it really complicated for people to have battery system. You know, it's costing thousands of dollars more to, yes. you know, deal yes. with the transferring and control structure necessary to do it and fit their financial need. You know, and in, and I'm using right. that Partic- in a broad term Part- of, like, the, the accounting.
0: Particularly on a, on an AC-coupled system. Right. You probably could right. have snuck through with a DC-coupled system.
1: But,
0: but, and, and you, you may know, have had actually, to have listened to our show two weeks ago to know what we're talking about when we say AC-coupled and DC-coupled. But the vast yeah. majority of multi-facility microgrids are AC-coupled systems.
1: And I do know that the city of Ukiah is more than toying with the concept of setting up some kind of a microgrid for the city. And that it really does depend on them acquiring some land outside the city in order to put in a really substantial local solar array. Yeah, yeah. And that, that was one of the things that was put to me. It was like, well, if you can find somebody that wants to give us 10 acres, you know, then we're off to the races. But they need some acreage.
0: God, to seems, actually make something happen. Seems like somewhere on that floodplain would be.
1: Yeah, easy and it's to just, grab you know it's, it's it's an iffy thing because it's conversion of farmland. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so that's a hard thing. But you know, there's maybe some way to integrate that because you can't.
0: Well, they're, ter- they're you know they've been converting pear orchards into shopping centers for forty years.
1: Right. Um, And has now got its water fixed, so they're building all kinds of stuff. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, Well, they could easily do some little sub-neighborhood, or a couple of sub-neighborhoods within the city to experiment Mm -hmm. with the idea, you know, that covered, you know, the police department and the fire department in one, and, and the hospital in another, and... Yeah,
1: and maybe some little residential areas where there's a couple of those open lots that's all nice and sunny when almost everybody around it has trees where maybe they're on the same line. And everybody on that block could get together, you know, and put something in because maybe none of them have sold. Yeah. For all, you know, Mendocino being kind of the solar capital for 20 some odd years or more. Now, you look at Ukiah, there's really not a whole lot of solar deployed.
0: Well, that's you know, that's largely because it was a municipal utility and the price was so much cheaper for the power compared to PG&E exactly. that, that it you know, didn't have the return on investment that it did on PG&E where the price was twice as much.
1: Right. And now they just got their first rate increase in over, I think, 22 years. What are they up that to, 14 years, I cents? Um. I, well, now they do have a tiered structure and... Um, and also time of use, and so I think it goes down into thirteen and a half, but it goes up to I think eighteen point three. But that's still just still a drop in the mean,
0: compared to pg e
1: Yeah, it's like fifty percent. Yeah, and you look at the bills, and it's like, well, you guys, yeah, don't move. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, a lot of and a lot of UKI's power is the geothermal plant. Mm-hmm. You know, they've they've increased their their take on that as much as they could, as it's opened up, just like Sonoma Clean Power. Yeah, app. Sonoma Clean
0: Power yeah, has you know. bought a lot of that.
1: Yeah, and now Sonoma Clean Power is in Mendo, and they're probably working with Ukiah as well. So, you know, uh, it's
0: I don't, I don't, for everybody. I don't think Sonoma Clean Power reaches into Ukiah.
1: Well, they don't reach into Ukiah, but they're probably part of the whole pool of you know who can trade power with who, you know, based on ah, time yeah, and what's yeah. available, that they're all, you know, they know each other for sure better than any of us know that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're in the same business. And so,
0: you know, anyway, uh, so where do the where, micro go ahead? I was going to ask where do you, where does it go from here?
1: Um, we, we, I mean, maybe, open up the lines and let people ask questions and help take the conversation somewhere because we could spiral off in so many different directions with this and that really the microgrid concept is kind of like, oh, we built the first telescope. We can see something so much more than we've never seen and that there's, this is a major change in what we can do for the next 40 or 50 years to go from what we used to call dependable, and then we realized we could make it even better and we called it reliable and then as you mentioned earlier resilient mhm and that in the microgrid world you know you can't call it resilient if you don't have 98 to 99 or better uptime and that that's just cuz still 1% of the year is 87 hours of outage you know or more
0: well i so, I, I remember a statistic from About 20 years ago, that the average total annual power outage duration, cumulative for the entire year, of the average electricity receiving facility, including houses and factories and everybody, was a half an hour a year. Now, that said, somebody in Fort Bragg who just had a two-day power outage said... (laughs) Not me, but, but that means that right. most of the grid, you know, was way less than a half an hour.
1: Yeah, a, and our rural neighbors around here, you know, are talking 5, 10, 15 days well, a you, year, depending uh, on the winter.
0: Yeah. Well, you you prompted somebody to call in, so let's pick up this call. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Are you there, caller? hello you're live on the air is that me that's you
2: what's up yeah i'm here oh okay
0: yeah do you have a question or a comment I about a
2: little bit off topic it's more of a but i got one of those little microgrid things, and i've had to move a couple of times so i've got four l-16s two of which i haven't really had hooked up for about mm, 15 months, so maybe they're a little sulfated.
0: Yeah, probably a a lot sulfated. I
2: might come back, but I'm in with my other 2L16.
0: Your other ones are in good Uh, shape?
2: My other question is, I have two hundred 100-watt panels that I've linked together, and I was going to run them through a controller. I just bought a 10-amp controller, but the controller, it's a Solarix, and it says I should run a 12 volts only and I was kind of hoping I could run 24 volts in my in my battery hookup because I got a long about a 250 foot throw
0: what what do you have that runs on, on 24 on volts
2: what can you know just run an ac cord that i was going to do all, you, that you that have that
0: a run. you have a 24 volt inverter
2: uh my main
0: question is do you have a 24 volt inverter how
2: that sound to you and also I don't have I don't have nearly enough information you need to okay, answer my questions or but I'm not sure where
0: y- you need to answer my questions or we can't answer yours can you hear us yeah oh do you have a 24 volt inverter pardon do you have a 24 volt inverter uh, I
2: have a, I have an inverter yes
0: then you don't have a choice 12
2: or 24
0: the inverter can't change I've never heard of an inverter that could run off of both your charge
1: charge controller. The charge
0: controller could maybe but do you, well. oh, do you have an inverter um, Do you have an inverter at all really do you have an inverter
1: it hooks yes. up to the batteries and then makes power that makes, you could run your blender or your refrigerator it on. It makes AC yeah.
0: power. And what voltage is it designed to run from?
1: That's very specific.
2: No, I'm not trying to. Um, it, says it says 13 amps, 1500
0: watts. And what right, what DC what DC voltage? voltage is it 12 volt or 24 volt or 48 volt My guess um, my guess is it's made for well, 12 it's made I for I
2: remember reading it, it said either 12 or 24
0: I'm highly skeptical on that Your charge controller might be able to do that but I've never heard of an inverter that could do that so my guess is your inverter is a 12 volt inverter and you don't have a choice.
2: It's a, it's it's a, it's a Samlex inverter.
1: Yeah, so it's definitely 12 or 24 volt or 48 volt. And probably 12 if you've only been using two of your batteries for a while. Yeah,
0: if you have if it works on two L16s, that means you have a 12 volt inverter, I'm pretty sure. Which means yeah. you don't, you don't have a choice on 24 volts.
1: Unless you get another inverter, which doesn't sound like a good idea. Okay, right now.
0: and I'm also I'm also nervous that if you're on a 12 volt well, system, what should
2: I do with my other two L16s?
0: Well, my guess is they're already fishing white.
1: Yeah, they they can't sit around for 15 months without a charge, and do very well. I mean, there's a okay. chance they could be revived, <laughs> but you'd, you'd have to spend at least a hundred dollars to get a device that might recover them. Might
0: recover them. And yeah, and even the, and the, even the, only par- the, partially recover them. They're not coming back yeah. to full juice. Which would
1: probably you know help ruin the two other batteries exactly.
0: If, if you put them in tandem with your other batteries, you will you will hurt the other batteries.
1: Yeah, those other batteries will always be trying to charge the bad batteries. And when the system is charging and trying to say uh, give it fifteen volts, the one battery will be at sixteen while the other one's at yeah. ten. And it's a really bad scenario for batteries. You just cook them to death every single day.
0: So my, my guess is yeah. you need to haul those to the metal recycler. Um, and
2: Okay, yeah. I'll hook it up as a 12-volt.
0: <laughs> I don't think you have a choice. I think your inverter was made yeah. for 12-volt, and if you wired it up for 24-volt, you would have fried that inverter, too.
1: Yeah, Samlex does not make any inverters that can do multi-battery voltages.
0: I've never heard of anyone who... Okay, so my
1: other... Right, I agree. I'm just saying specifically, without a doubt, Samlex... My other question is...
2: Where
1: where do I put the fuse?
0: Oh, many fuses.
1: Yeah, before and after... Every source and load.
0: Legally, you need a fuse between the solar and the charge controller. On You need a fuse between the charge controller and the battery. This could be a DC-rated circuit breaker. Um, yep. You need a fuse between the battery and the inverter, DC input. You need circuit breakers yeah. on the output side of the inverter. Yep. And I'm also nervous that your charge controller is not big enough. And
2: do I put the fuses on the positive line or on the negative line?
0: Well, you should be uh, you should be bonding the negative uh, battery, you know, the negative in the DC system to the grounding system, making it your neutral, and that makes the the positive you're hot if you don't okay you have to put fuses in both the positive and negative but if you bond the negative to the grounding system
1: well technically the code changed to be positive and negative for any standard grounded solar dc coupled solar system that is new but it's very hard to find those breakers say it again uh, technically, the code has updated that now the standard grounded DC coupled systems break the hot and the negative well, on the solar side.
0: On the solar side, oh, because yeah. because and it's control. isolated. Well, that that would be with a with a pulse width modulation. Your I mean, sorry. Question
2: is that I get a larger controller.
0: I was worried your controller's too small. I'm, yeah, wor- I'm worried that you got, you've got you got more than 10 amps of, uh, of solar panel. Well,
2: so what if I get...
1: Yeah. Yeah, because if your charge controller is not made to run at a high solar voltage to make the low battery voltage, then you can't right. put those modules in series and just have two wires coming out. You have to parallel them. So then that means you're adding the current rating of the solar modules, which means that ten amps might be too low. Just you know, what is the solar characteristics, you uh, know,
0: the okay.
2: Well specific? what I did is I tied the solar panels together.
0: In parallel or in series? To connect the positive to the positive and the negative to the negative? Or did you connect the positive to the negative? Oh, no, uh, I
2: connected the positive to the negative. So you wired
0: yeah. your array for 24 volts, and my guess is your charge controller won't know what to do with that. Well, yeah, it'll it'll probably know what to do with that if it doesn't fry from too high of a voltage. It right. will. It will act like you only so have. It'll it act like you only have one solar panel. Unless it says it's an M- <laughs> MPPT charge controller and specifically says you can do that, don't do that.
1: Yeah, it will cook the charge controller. All right.
0: Yeah. Sorry, we're full of bad news, That's, aren't we?
2: I'm so, yeah, I'll just get a beer. I mean, one. the main yes. thing is. A the main thing is, when it is, it is brand electrical. new, and I haven't even used it. Oh, good! No, that's all right. Good. I, you're full of good news. All right. You're full of good news. Saved
0: you from frying it. All right. Hey, yeah. thanks for the call. Good luck.
1: If good news is not having fires, then absolutely. We just had a whole lot of good news. All right.
0: <laughs> Thank you very much. Sure enough. Bye bye. And uh, we'll invite the rest of the world to call in, hoping you got microgrid questions but we take them on everything it's 895-2448 if you want to get into the studio like this caller just did oops they dropped they were just there a second ago call again caller 895-2448 um so i the state is clearly pushing the utilities to allow you know microgrids that encompass you know at least neighborhoods and uh, you know they're not required to do that everywhere yet they've, they've mostly just been required to do that and I called it a handful of situations um, but uh that are experimental they were forced by the state to do that kicking and screaming um and, and, and hopefully they'll learn that, hey, this isn't so bad. And that we can do this sort of thing all over the place where different sections of the grid can shut down and, and certain regions can stay up and running if they've got a nice microgrid. Here's another call. Hello, caller. You're live on the air.
2: Hey. hey. Uh, my name's John. Hey, John. Appreciate your show. And, uh, yeah, I just got a question. Um, just trying to find out... Uh, What exactly can be for a small home, just, you know, a handful
1: of lights, um, a refrigerator, nothing fancy? What size of system can we use for something like that?
0: Oh, somewhere between a thousand-dollar system and a hundred-thousand-dollar system? Yeah, I'm, I'm... I'm uh, not being tongue-in-cheek. You know, that's literally the answer. What wattage lights are you using? How many of them are on? How many hours a day are they on? Uh, what refrigerator are you using? Is it an Energy Star one produced in the past 10 years, or was it made in 1973? Um, there's a there's a factor of six.
1: No, a lot of current, current uh, new stuff with all the Energy Star stuff. Uh,
0: awesome. That's great. Um, well, you can add up yeah. these things. The Energy Star stuff should have an estimate on what its annual consumption is in its paperwork and you can look up how many uh, kilowatt hours a year it's expected to consume and it probably won't be that far off from what happens with yours okay, um, so. and and I tend to think of things in terms of kilowatt hours per day uh, Chris do you have a do you have a rule of thumb for what a you know small off-grid mm-hmm. solar system costs per per daily watt hour?
1: Not exactly, but, you know, that is that is kind of the, you know, as far as throwing out the average estimate for somebody, you know, just off the cuff, you know, flick of the wrist kind of a thing. Um, you know, it, it's tricky, you know, because you could, say, get some little battery backup thing that you just plug in and it stays charged when you don't need it. And then when the grid goes down, oh, you he, run extension cords and are, plug things into it. Is he off, and if you want an advanced battery, you're still going to pay several thousand dollars for a little goal zero or something right. like that. Well, is this but, person
0: off grid? Caller, are you off grid or are you, sure those, those are, yeah, are you connected to the utility? Batteries are expensive. Are you connected to the utility? Pardon me. Are you connected to the utility? Not connected to utilities, but not.
1: Yes. Right. So you're talking about a whole off grid. Yes. Right,
0: and you so, know, I bet you that probably that probably runs at least four or five dollars of just equipment costs per day yeah, per daily a- watt hour.
1: You have to determine somewhere. Are you an aesthetic power user, meaning you're super miser, need very very little almost live in the dirt, all the way up to, you know, are you a gross abuser, and what? just leave everything on all the time, doors and windows open with the heat on what? kind of thing, and then find your place he's, in that.
0: It sounds like he's talking wood stove, wood stove yeah. and yeah. just a handful of right. lights, and that he'd probably be good about turning them off, make sure they're LEDs and... And he's talking Energy Star refrigerator, which is probably, you know. Oh,
1: yeah, I'm with the wood stove and the LEDs and all of that. Yep.
0: And the, the refrigerator is yeah. probably somewhere in the the 1,000 watt hours a day. So the refrigerator sure, yeah. all, all by itself is going to be somewhere between uh, 3000 and $5,000 worth of solar system to support it.
1: Yeah, and that's the key, is that you do have good, efficient equipment. This is also but, going out yeah, to everybody thinking, else you know, during my... the times.
0: Sorry, you were both talking at the same time. Collar, what would you say? Hmm.
2: Uh, well, I'm just wondering, you know, in the off time, like in the wintertime, when the sun is
1: down below, how can you factor the, the same solar usage and requirements all year long? Uh, Yeah, so you can either oversize your solar considerably and have a generator or just go with, you know, kind of of middle-of-the-road solar and have more dependence on your generator through the winter and somewhere in between. You can't get all your energy from the solar. You could oversize it massively and never cover it all. But you can do a significant oversizing that's still economical. And cut back your generator usage to less than a
0: hundred.
1: Trying to cut back your generator usage to under a hundred hours a year. So you don't burn up your generator so quickly because people around here generally don't maintain their generators as well as they should and are using up a 20 year generator in three to 10 years on average. And so doing a little oversizing on the solar. So one of my rules of thumb is to look and say, okay, what's your yearly usage? And then we do that average per day that Doug was talking about, similar with all your loads. And then we say, okay, it would take this much solar to cover that. When we look at what's your shading, where's the location? Those are the things that reduce the efficiency of your solar and tell you, how much do I need to just cover my year's 100%, 100% and this is a grid tied kind of concept. Yeah,
0: no, we're talking off grid.
1: But in the off grid, so then we take and say okay, push the solar up to the 150% to 250%. That's really high as far as having more solar, but it, what that means is in the winter and the cloudy, semi kind of rainy days, you get through a whole day or night oftentimes without needing the generator to back you up. Shoot. And you do that enough that it really cuts back to the 60 to 100 hours on that generator and all that fuel use and carrying the fuel if you don't have a really integrated, like, kohler generator with a propane, big propane tank or something. Back, so you fill once a year.
0: Back when solar panels were really expensive, we always used to design solar systems based on annual average sunshine, which is, you know, like a September day and annual average consumption and we knew that we'd have pretty much you know the vast majority of the time enough electricity in spring and fall a little bit more than we need in summertime and we're definitely going to be running the generator in the wintertime but back then solar panels were so expensive in order to radically reduce the wintertime need for generator running you'd have to double the size of your solar array and back then that was just cost prohibitive because the solar panels were so expensive but now the panels are you know cheaper than the racks they're getting put on and yes uh,
1: the racks the ground mounts have gotten really expensive because of the steel and aluminum
0: really bad. So, I, we st- we're strongly recommending you to, you know, size the system for winter with the solar array. Yep. And uh, and you'll still want to have a backup generator, but hopefully you won't yeah. have to use it much.
1: Yeah, and one of the things I found is you find your lowest okay. sun month and find out, you yeah. know, how much power you really have in that month to get try to get your solar to cov- cover 60 to 80% of that. And that really bleeds across the whole year to reduce a whole lot. And then you have overages in the summer where, you you know, we've spoken before, you could have a maybe even have an electric water heater that you send extra power to in the summertime.
0: Yeah. You know, I,
1: I, cut I, off gas
0: usage. I have, a hand, I have quite a few clients now that have air conditioning off the grid because their array was sized to their winter needs, and they have so much excess in the summertime that they can run an air conditioner.
1: I do. <laughs> <laughs> I love it because mm-hmm. it's gotten
0: really hot where I live. That was that
1: just such a good idea. That was
0: just so unthinkable 20 yeah. years ago.
1: Oh, yeah. No, no, you would never think of that. And then once you're doing that, you start yeah. looking at, well, yeah. well maybe I'll you get into a, a lot of stuff off. I never even heard about.
0: Yeah, yeah. well, we we bring out, I've got a, a system that automatic, oh, automatically pumps water when there's excess in the summertime and I don't have to run my generator to pump water anymore. Um, Because in the wintertime, I don't need much water and in the summertime, it's all happening from excess from my solar. Other people, you know, turn on their decorative fountain pumps and, uh, you know, I do electric crockpot cooking in the summertime, uh, but I don't do that in the wintertime. Right. But you really need to... Figure out how many watt hours a day you consume to size the system. And Yeah, that
1: I would say one of the most critical things that should go out to everybody is the most important thing you can do before you decide to move forward on an off-grid whole-home system is to do a very, very detailed load calculation and get really honest with yourself because another problem that comes up is once people get their power system worked out, they start using more power. They had more. They right. get comfortable.
0: Well, certain and things, and so then
1: that that can undercut the design points that you made and built upon, and then change the resiliency of your system. Wow. And what you can expect from okay. it, and so and some, you have to some be things, really honest with yourself.
0: Some things you can plan for; you can plan for an yes. easy expansion. But what a load exactly. list? What a load list okay. typically consists of is for a sure. list of every single electrical consuming device you plan on having in your home, what its running wattage is, and maybe standby wattage. Sometimes devices have right. more than one mode, and know those two wattages or three wattages. You know, think of an electric coffee maker. It has, you know, the clock consumption at, you know, might be five watts twenty four hours a day, but oh God, that one. the brewing the brewing cycle is uh, you know, all of six minutes yeah, or something. It on, it's
2: five thousand.
0: But no, it's typically only about <laughs> nine hundred watts when it's brewing. And that's only about mm-hmm. ten minutes a day. Um, and this
1: goes back to you saying this is and not tongue-in-cheek, Doug. Yeah. I had a client who they had already bought some equipment. The original installer disappeared to another state. We came in to fix this system, and the whole reason this all started was because the yeah. the generator would turn on because they were brewing their coffee in the morning in the fall time during hunting season, <laughs> and he was pissed. And we ended up, They built a whole new power shed. We reworked their entire thing because we got them to think about it so that they could plan for the future and not, you know, if they had to make any changes in 20 years, pop out the inverter, pop in a new one. That's it. Or pop out the battery, pop in a new one so that there's no more structural changes to their system. And they did, they threw out $90,000 and they, and they already had a whole bunch of equipment, but it's a large system. You know, we're talking a 24 kilowatt inverter system and a big, you know, 80 kilowatt hour battery and a whole lot of big stuff, you know? So it's just important for people to give it that planning phase and really think about it. Every dollar you spend in your system will go farther for you. You know, the more time and thought you give to the real critical details, you know, not to overthink it, but to severely don't underthink it. Yeah. You know, it's da- it's dangerous. There's real money involved. Here.
0: Hey, thanks for the call, Collar. We got to run. Um, so I'd still like to give uh, Jamie Roberts a couple of minutes to take over the captain's chair. So... We usually put on a little music. You got any last things to say about microgrids, Chris? Um I, I think coming. it's a
1: real big thing for the future. Coming. You know, there's They're really coming. no stopping it. And um, I, I think the, the utilities are seeing the writing on the wall, especially the investor-owned utilities. And this goes back to, I think we agree, it is... Almost morally indefensible to have an investor-owned utility at this point <laughs> yeah. in humanity's reality on this planet.
0: Yeah, that you, that it is you socialist, it. you socialist.
1: I mean, you could call it that, <laughs> but you look at the reliability of all of these rural electrical cooperatives, and all there's where are, they, where are they in Oregon starting fires with their? The money they took from the WPA back in the fifties—they're not because they take care of their equipment. Yeah, they take care of their people. They reinvest it into the people. That's why Utah max eighteen point three cents a kilowatt hour.
0: And and so
1: I, I think it's, there's something here, and we really got to look at it.
0: And and the legislature's pushing them that way, so hopefully it'll move yeah. quickly. All right, let's let's uh, check out and say good night and. We'll we'll be back in two weeks after 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 we missed out on the pledge drive. Yeah, but just, thanks everybody. Just in case you were waiting to call in with a pledge during pledge drive for this show, consider <laughs> calling in or or getting online and making a donation and mentioning the renewable energy hours so they know people listen to us. All right, good night, everyone.